Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We're a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into this same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and to reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good. I have to admit, I, uh, I feel like I'm becoming more of a, of a Michigander. Uh, this week has been hot. Anybody else agree with that? I mean, granted, the temperatures are only in like the mid-80s, which is like our spring in Georgia. Uh, but I find myself like saying, I don't want to go outside because it's too hot. Uh, and so I, I have a deeper connection with you, I feel, after almost, almost four years, we're getting there. Uh, but I, it's wearing on me. I don't want to go back to Georgia this summer. That sounds terrible. Um, but I, I'm glad you're here this morning. If you are first jumping, if this is your first time here, if you're new here, been here a couple weeks, and you're just kind of jumping into this series that we've started, we're titled Acts to the Nations. And this comes from the beginning of uh, the book of Acts. Uh, starting in, in Acts chapter 1, this is an encounter of the start of the church, of people coming to know and understand who Jesus was and the power of his resurrection and the message of the gospel. His disciples went from town to city, uh, from Jerusalem and to Judea, Judea, Samaria, out into the world to share the gospel with, with people who have never heard it before. And this promise comes uh, in chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is talking to his disciples. They're trying to figure out what he means when he says he's leaving, what he means when he says that, that we will, uh, they will receive power, they will receive the Holy Spirit. He's trying to explain to them the purpose of the mission that he has for them. And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so our series, this, this kind of second half of our Acts series, starts with the to the ends of the earth portion of this mission that Jesus has for his disciples. Uh, and so for the past several weeks, we've been looking at that, the mission outward and, and different cities and towns where the gospel is being shared and these missionaries uh, like Paul, who we'll be looking at today, who are going and sharing the gospel in these places that have never heard it before. Maybe it's towns where there's a, a pretty good-sized Jewish population, maybe it's Greeks, maybe it's Romans, but the gospel is spreading forth, fulfilling the promise and the mission that Jesus had for his disciples, going all the way back to Acts chapter 1. And so the question that we're going to be looking at today, actually a couple different questions that we're going to be looking at today, is how do you respond to the power and the presence of God? How do you respond to the power and the presence of God? What about in the midst of struggle? What about in the midst of times where life is just not what you thought it was going to be? Or what about the times where you thought you knew what God was doing in your life and it turns out you had no idea? Or you get to where you think you're going and you're like, God, this is not what I thought we talked about. God, this is not what I prayed about. God, I, I'm not really sure what you're doing in my life. Because we're going to look at three different encounters in chapter 16 of, uh, of Acts today that really dial in and, and look at what happens when these individuals that Paul interacts with experience the gospel, experience the power and the presence of God. 
So the beginning of Acts 16, we're, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but the first few verses are when Timothy, Paul's disciple, is introduced into the picture. We see a really cool encounter of, of, uh, of Paul meeting him for the first time, meeting his family, understanding, understanding a little bit more about who he is and where he comes from. Uh, and Timothy joins him on this journey. We don't understand or learn a lot about Timothy in this particular uh, encounter that we're looking at, but I would encourage you... Um, if you want to go kind of dive deeper into your study, study, if you want to learn a little bit more about this, this one encounter, I would really encourage you and challenge you to read the, the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, First and Second Timothy in the Bible, a little bit further in the New Testament, because it's an incredible encounter. There is so much truth. It's a beautiful picture of discipleship, of, of somebody who is further down the road from you in their faith, looking back and saying, hey, I want you to come along with me, because we see that in this encounter today. So those letters that Paul wrote to Timothy in Scripture really stem from this very moment at the beginning of Acts chapter 16. Like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time there today, uh, but we will see several unique encounters where God displays his power and his presence uh, in it. So if you guys would do me a favor, we're going to read the scripture. If you guys would stand with me as we read the scripture that we will be in today. In Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 11. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying after she and her household were baptized. She urged us, she considered, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had, spirit, had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out right away. When her owners realized, that their, uh, realized their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined them in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped them of their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in the jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving, receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everybody in his house. 
They took them, he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. You guys can be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come before you and worship you and come before you uh, and experience your power and your presence here today, Lord. I pray that uh, you would go before us, that you would open our ears and our hearts to what you would have to teach us through your word, and that we would walk away changed because of it. Amen. So setting the scene for us, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, which we picked up in the beginning of chapter 16, uh, were on their way uh, to share the gospel. I have a picture for you here, uh, Dustin, if you don't mind for me. Uh, this is kind of the route that they, they took. This is Paul, one of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, so starting from Troas, where we picked up in, ver- in verse... Uh, in verse 11, uh, this is the route they were taking. So Paul and Timothy and, and Silas, and what we, we pick up uh, Luke, the author of Acts as well, and, this is, and he is going and sharing the gospel. He, just prior to this, we see a couple verses where Paul's a little confused. He's, he's wanting to go to these different places, but the Holy Spirit is, is not allowed. He, he tries to go to three different places, and the Holy Spirit says, no, I, I don't want you to go there. Uh, and in a vision, Paul receives his direction. He says, I want you to cross over into to Macedonia, which is where we pick up our story today. So Philippi, which would be that top left corner up there, this is the city that, where, we, where we take place. And that next slide for me, Dustin. Uh, so this is what currently what Philippi looks like. Uh, it, it, would be a, it would have been a pretty big city, pretty, a, lot of market, a lot of marketplaces, this is where people would interact. This is, would be the hub of the city. I have another, another picture for you as well. Uh, this is kind of a, a little bit of label for you. Down the bottom right is where we, Paul is going to spend time, spend some time in prison. Uh, the forum is where they would have spent time. This is where they would have been taken um, before the magistrates to kind of in a public place to, to say, hey, these, this, is, this is what they're doing. So this is kind of to set the scene of where we are, a Roman military colony not a whole lot of Jews. This is a place that would have been foreign to, to Paul. This would have place that this is, this is a new experience, people who have not heard the gospel of Jesus. But I'd be willing to bet Paul was pretty excited about that. Pretty excited about the opportunity to point people to Jesus in this city. So it picks it up. And uh, on, on verse 13, it says, On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. It's kind of a unique verse. So Paul, being a good Jew, uh, wanted to go and be in prayer with other, other people like him, other Israelites, other Jews. And this city was a very heavily Roman city, so much so that there were very, so few Jews that there wasn't even a synagogue. If you look at other uh, encounters where Paul goes into cities to share the gospel, to meet with people, his first stop is the synagogue. But what we see is that there's not even a synagogue to go to. So instead, Paul goes to the river. And Paul knows to go to the river because in Jewish tradition, uh, in order for, for a synagogue to happen, in order for a, uh, a, a service to take place, there would need to be a minion, is what it's called. And this is where 10 households, 10 Jewish households would, be, would have to be present in order for the service to take place. 
So Paul knew that wouldn't take place, knew there was not a synagogue, knew that not, there was not a place for that, that minion to, to occur. So every Jew knew that they would go to the water source. They would go to the place where they could gather uh, on a daily basis uh, to, to pray. And so that's where Paul goes. Paul knows that if there's Jews in this city, they are going to be at the water source. And I have a picture for you as well. So this is where Paul goes. This is the river in Philippi, just outside of the city. And there's a very good chance that this, this kind of area is exactly where Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke would have gone to pray. As you can imagine, it's not a very formal place. People are gathering, gathering their water, doing what they need to do to, for, for their water for, for the day. Uh, and so Paul spends his time here. This is Paul's mission field in Acts chapter 16. And so, as he gets there, it picks it up in verse 14, or at the end of 13, says, where he expected to find a place of prayer, we sat down and spoke to a group of women who were gathered there. Now, I don't know exactly, it doesn't say exactly what Paul shared uh, in this particular encounter, but I would imagine that his message was probably pretty sim- something pretty similar to the passage in Acts chapter 13. A few chapters back, Paul is, goes to, uh, to a city in Antioch, and he is, he, there is a synagogue there. So he goes into the synagogue, he listens to the service, and at the end of the service, they say, is there anybody who would like to share a message? And Paul, being the missionary that he, that he is, being the outspoken person that he is, says, yes, I would like to share. And in this message, in this sermon that he gives, it's incredible. The first thing that he does, he says, fellow Israelites. He's saying, hey, I, I am one of you. We share a common history. We share a bond of God's faithfulness and history throughout all eternity. He probably shared a little bit about God's deliverance them out of Egypt and, and guidance through the desert, about the judges, about the kings, to David. And he probably closed with his message saying, and, and the Messiah that was promised that would be from the line of David, this is where Jesus comes in. And I would imagine Paul's message was similar. Maybe not as formal as it was in the synagogue, but as he's sitting with these women, as he's sitting around listening to the river, the water, the water bubbling by, He's talking to these people who are God-fearing people and saying, listen, God is faithful. God is good. You and I share that story. We, we have this history of God's faithfulness throughout time. And his faithfulness doesn't stop. He goes and drops, drops the truth bomb saying, the Messiah that was promised is Jesus. And I saw it. I experienced it. He was put on a cross. He was buried, but then he, he rose again. And I'm here to, to, to share that message. It picks it up in verse 14. It says, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. So what do we know about Lydia? One, that she's a God-fearer, that she honors God, that she desires to, to, to be, to, that her life would honor God. She's a dealer in purple cloth, which meant that she was wealthy. The, the process of, of dyeing uh, cloth or, or fabric purple was a very labor-intensive pro- uh, process. It came from, from shells, and it would take much, a lot of time, a lot of work, a lot of man hours, a lot of uh, money in order to, to sell these. So the, the, her, her products, these purple cloths, were expensive. 
so she was wealthy. Chances are that she was somewhat influential in the area that she, that she sold her cloth. Yet the Lord chose her to be that first member of the church of Philippi. And in this moment, in this gathering, this prayer gathering around the water, around the river, the church of Philippi starts with a few people sitting around talking about how good God is. That's encounter number one. Encounter number two is an interesting one. It picks up in verse 16. It says, once we were on our way to prayer, most likely back to the same place where they met Lydia, a slave girl met us who had spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. As she followed Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the, most way, or the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And she did this for many days. So this weird encounter, Paul and his and company are walking along the road back to the river to pray, back to spend time probably with Lydia and the other women, the, other, the families that were there, to, to talk more about Jesus, to tell more about the gospel, to point other people to Jesus. Yet there's somebody who just won't leave them alone. A slave girl who, who has a spirit inside of her, a demon inside of her, who, who will not stop talking. And it's kind of an interesting encounter to me because if you look at it, what they're saying, what she's actually saying is not untrue. What's she saying? She's saying, hey, these men are preaching to you the way of salvation, and they are servants of the Lord Most High. What she's saying is absolutely true. So why was Paul annoyed? If she was speaking truth, why did it bother him? And I would venture to say that the reason that it bothered him, because it was a distraction to his mission. The reason that this particular girl, this particular one who would not stop talking, would not leave the room, was a distraction to the message that he knew that he was given to preach. And I think we can all relate to that. How many of you have ever been distracted? Yeah? How many of you have a, have a, a smartphone in your pocket? That's, that's a great distraction tool. I'm, I'm guilty of, of that one as well. Distraction is such an easy way for Satan to come into our lives. Distraction is such an easy way for him to say, no, I don't don't want you to spend time in prayer. No, I don't want you to to be in the Word. I don't want you to to go and talk to that person. You just, just be distracted. Paul was having none of this distraction. Great uh, example of this. uh, Great book that I love is called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. And the screw, if you have not read it before, it's, 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 a fantastic, uh, it's a fantastic book. It's a great picture of spiritual warfare. And it's a, it's a collection of fictional letters written from a senior demon to a, a, a younger uh, demon who is being trained to tempt fellow Christian believers. And this is a, this is a quote from, from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters. It says, you will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods of time. Now, Satan is, is, doesn't have a whole lot of tools in his, in his pocketbook. But distraction and lies is one of them. 
And I think this encounter is kind of unique because on the surface, you're like, I, I'm not really sure why Paul was annoyed, but I think Paul understood something very, very important. Paul understood that distraction was such an easy way to, to block our, our ability or our efforts to, to share the gospel. That we can let something small, something easy that may look, sound good or look good on the outside, but in reality, it's eating away at the mission that God has for us. And I think in our lives, this can be anything. This can be talking with your friends. This can be filling it with your, with your, your favorite TV show. This can be doing things outside. This can be whatever it might be. Distractions can easily get in the way of the plan and the work that God has for you. Paul was having none of this distraction. Paul was on a mission to reach people for the gospel. He was truly walking towards the river to reach people with the gospel, walking towards the river to say, hey, let me tell you about my message of Jesus. Now, we don't see exactly what happened as a result in the encounter, but it picks it up in the text, and it says, uh, she made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling as she followed Paul, and as she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days, and Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out right away. This girl got to experience the power and the presence of God here in this moment. And like we said, I don't know exactly what happened to this girl, but this is, this is my, my, me thinking. I'd love for you to, to, to look at it and, and study for yourself, but I would make the argument that this girl stopped what she was doing and became a follower. Because if you look at other encounters in Scripture where Jesus' power is displayed, whether that be through a healing or the removing of a spirit or a demon uh, throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every single one of those cases, those people realize what has taken place and say, I'm all in. Whether that be saying, hey, I'm going to follow you right now, or whether that be going and telling other people of the power and the presence of God that you just experienced in your own life. And I would be hard-pressed to think that this girl who's experienced life change in an instant because of the power of God didn't immediately say, I'm in. I'm in. Because this girl was no longer worth uh, the money that she was making for her owners because the spirit was gone. Her power, the ability that she said that she possessed was gone. They, they weren't going to have a use for her. So I would imagine that this girl was a believer right then and there. And you would think this would be another time to celebrate where that Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke would say, hey, come down to the river with us. Let's just, let's celebrate. But that's, that's not what took place. It picked up in verse 19. It says, when her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. This is interesting to me. Because on one hand, you just saw an incredible act of God right before your eyes. Yet their concern was their money. Their concern was the hope of profit for the future. Their livelihood had been interrupted. The way that they would go and make wealth had come to an end. And they were not going to let this continue. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt 
or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them. And the chief magistrate stripped them of their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in the jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. That's quite a situation change. To casually sharing your, the, the good news of Jesus at the river, to being put into the inner prison after being beat and flogged and dragged into the city and into the public to say, hey, what they're doing is, is wrong. Think about those words, dragged, attacked, stripped of their clothes, beaten with rods, severely flogged. I don't know about you, but if there was a, an encounter or a moment in this story where uh, I would be annoyed, I think it would be this one. It's kind of interesting to me. The only time it says that Paul's annoyed is when someone doesn't stop talking, but yet when he's being beaten and flogged and dragged and, and to the point, almost to the point of death, it doesn't say that he's annoyed. It doesn't say that, he, that he's angry. It doesn't say that he, he tried to put up a, a struggle to get away. It continues, listen to this. Verse 25, about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. That's crazy to me to think about how, how much pain and, and uh, struggle they just experienced. His response was not annoyance or anger or frustration or saying, God, what are you doing? His response was faith, worshiping and praying to God. It continues. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. And I read this, and on the surface, you're like, man, that's, that's awesome. God comes in to, to save the day. But if you're like me, my question was, why didn't he do it earlier? Why did he let these guys get beat? Why did he let these guys get flogged? Why did he let this, this whole thing take place? Why couldn't he have intervened? Why couldn't he have stepped in? Why couldn't he have changed the situation beforehand? Then they wouldn't have gotten beaten. Then they wouldn't have been thrown in jail. Then they could be still talking to people at the river, telling more people about who God is and what he's done. They're, they're, they're being thrown in a prison cell. Like, surely this is not the most effective way to use Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke. Surely there's a better way. But I think Paul and Silas understood something. Paul and, Paul and Silas understood that their life was not their own. And the plan that God has for them was not going to be thwarted by some sticks and some rods. The plan that God has for them, may, they may not fully understand what it is at the moment, but they know that God is good. And they know that God is faithful because they've experienced the goodness and faithfulness of God. They've experienced the power and the presence of God enough to say, I trust what God is doing. It continues. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. This is a powerful moment. And I would imagine that, that it's in this moment that Paul and Silas maybe begin to understand why God has them here. 
why God would take them through the pain that they just experienced, why God would have them be put into this inner prison, which I, I do have a picture for you as well. Check out these luxurious accommodations. That's a, that's a beautiful view right there. That's the outside. One more for me. This is where we're at. And one more. This would be the inner prison. Not some place that I'd want to spend time. But in this right here, in this hole in the side of a cliff, after they've experienced what they've experienced, I believe this is the moment where Paul and Silas are like, hey, I think I know why we're here. I think I know why we're put in this, inner, in this inner prison. I think I might have a better, clearer picture of what God is doing in this moment because here's what takes place next. Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. This is crazy to me. This is amazing because you think about this earthquake that's shattering the ground beneath them, breaking the chains off their arms and their legs and opening the doors. You would think that in the, the very first thought would be like, hey, this is our escape route. This is how we're getting out of here. Let's head for the hills, get out of here and not come back to Philippi again. This is the plan. But that moment of God saying, or Paul saying to himself possibly, I don't believe God would have us leave. God has called us here. God has brought us here. God has a plan. As I was reading up on, on this verse, and, and uh, one commentator, I love the way he put it. God had saving purposes for Paul and Silas's suffering. Let me say that again. Paul, I mean God, had saving purposes for Paul and Silas's suffering. That's a tough pill to swallow. Because that means that Paul, or that God, that God could have saving purposes for our sufferings. God could have saving purposes for the times when life is not what we thought it was. God could have saving purposes for the times when we hurt. For the times when we're broken. The times when we're experiencing depression and anxiety. God could have saving purposes in those moments. And we know that God can intervene. And we know that God does intervene, but sometimes it's not when we thought it would happen or when we would want it to happen. But we're seeing this played out and Paul being the, the man of faith that he is and saying, I'm gonna wait here to see what God has in store. I'm gonna wait here because I don't think the, the plan that God has for us here ends in this moment. It continues. It continues. But called out, Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, a whole, level, a whole new level of respect, right? He wasn't calling them the sirs as he escorted them into the prison. Excuse me, sir, that's your spot over there. I don't believe he was saying that. Sirs, what must I do to be saved. Think about this. This jailer was sitting there outside that door, being, being a good watchman, making sure these men don't get out of this prison cell, listening to them pray, listening to them sing and worship God, and he's got to be thinking to himself, what are these people doing? Why are they happy? 
Why are they joyful? What, what could possibly be going on in their life to make them act this way? Because I'm sure this jailer, was, it was not this first rodeo. I'm sure he's seen other people in this jail cell, and none of them probably acted how Paul and Silas did with a confidence that just didn't make sense, a hope that just didn't make sense, a faith that just didn't make sense. And he's probably got to be wondering, what could they possibly have that I don't understand? And then God intervenes, because God has saving plans for Paul and Silas' suffering. God's power and his presence were displayed in incredible ways, the ways that this jailer had never seen before. And it clicked. He says, they have something that I need. They have something that I don't have. What must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He wasn't saying, hey, turn your life around. He wasn't saying, hey, fix this and then come see us. He wasn't saying, hey, uh, you got to stop doing what you're doing and and get your life together and, and, and make everything look good on the outside. He said, no, what you need to do is you need to believe in Jesus. Believe in the resurrection and the power of Jesus. That's how you be saved. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Quite a different uh, approach for this jailer. Right away, he, all, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. That's a powerful encounter. To think that they had a plan, they had, they had an escape opportunity. They could have run away, they could have said, hey, grab our things, grab the guys, we're getting out of here, we're done in Philippi. Not coming back here again, this place is not safe for us. But Paul's faith and his understanding of the power and the presence of God in his life, because he's experienced it in incredible ways. He knew that God was at work. And if they were to have le- left or if God was to even intervene when they were being beat or flogged, this jailer and his household wouldn't have come to know the Lord. So, how do you and I respond to the power and the presence of God? Paul responded with obedience to where God would take him. Back in Acts chapter 9, when he uh, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, his life was on a different course. He was going to arrest people who claimed to be followers of Jesus. He was going to, he had orders in hand. I'm, I'm rounding everybody up. This is being done. Like, this is, this is not taking place. We're, we're done with this. But he encountered Jesus and experienced the power and the presence of God, and his life was set on a new course. Maybe not one that was always fun, as we see in this encounter. But, God, but Paul responded with obedience. Lydia responded with faith and with hospitality. The jailer responded with faith, washing of the wounds, hospitality, uh, a, a sense of brokenness saying, like, there, there is nothing else for me except what you guys are offering through Jesus. Jesus. 
I think about these words from Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi. A few books to the right in your Bible. He says these words, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. Always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Think about those words. Paul, in his mind, is writing to Lydia. Paul, in his mind, is writing to the jailer and his family. Paul, in his mind, is writing to to all those people who came to know Jesus, who came to a saving faith because of what God did in these early days in Philippi. I thank God for every remembrance of you. He's thinking about these moments. He's thinking about these encounters. And he's saying, it is all worth it because of our partnership in the gospel from the first day, even including his time in jail, until now. So I think that we respond with faith, simply. You know, and if, but if you, if you don't know Jesus or haven't placed your faith in Jesus, I would invite you to do that today. Because there's a God who loves you so incredibly much, who is willing to meet you in your brokenness, willing to rescue from where you are, whatever you might be going through, whatever worry you might have or pain you might be struggling with. There is a God who cares deeply about you. And so my challenge, if if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, is what's stopping you from placing your faith in him, from taking that next step and saying, God, I want to experience the power and the presence of you in my life. I want to experience the life change that takes place when we understand and come to believe in you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I think that we respond with faith. And that might look differently for, for each of us, but it shares the desire to see God's will done in our life, regardless of our circumstances. And that's not easy to do, because sometimes our circumstances are not fun. Sometimes our circumstances don't make sense to us. Sometimes our circumstances are the exact opposite of the way that we would see our life going. But God equips us for the things that he has for us. He equips us for the the work that he has to do for us. And he promises that he will be with us. He has given us his Holy Spirit so that we are not alone. And we also respond to obedience in God's word. And there's a couple ways that I'm, I'm excited about that we get to do that. Next week, we get to celebrate baptisms. We see that as a perfect picture. In each of these encounters, we don't, we don't see it with, uh, with the slave girl. We don't understand the, the whole picture of what takes place. But with Lydia and with the jailer and his household, their, their obedience after placing faith was to be baptized, to publicly declare in a city that was not friendly <laughs> to people proclaiming the way of Jesus, but they publicly declared that their faith is in Jesus, that they're trusting in Jesus for their salvation. So we get to celebrate that next week. There are several of us in this room here today who are going to place their, to show and and publicly show their faith in Jesus at Tunnel Park next week. And the next way that we can be obedient is in communion. And I'm going to ask our, our worship team to, to come up and our, our communion servers to be ready. 
But communion is a way for us to respond and to be reminded of what Jesus did. As he sat with his disciples in the Last Supper and explained to this picture what this picture of the gospel is, we have the opportunity to do it here this morning. Communion will look a little differently this morning. We do have serving uh, tables that you can come and receive uh, communion. In just a few moments, our, our worship team is, is going to, to play a few songs. And I would encourage you to, to take your time, to spend time in prayer before uh, you come and take uh, communion. And if, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I would, I would uh, challenge you to, to, to maybe think and to, to contemplate what it would look like to place your faith in Christ today. Our scripture comes out of 1 Corinthians, another letter of Paul in chapter 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, talking about Jesus, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant, covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul did that. And I believe God's calling us to do that as well. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for these incredible encounters of your power and your presence. That we can look back in history and see the ways that you have been faithful, the way that you have protected your children, the way that you have um, equipped your children to be messengers of the gospel. And I pray this morning that each and every one of us in this room would be encouraged and have the boldness and the courage, the boldness and the courage to do that very same thing. That when presented with opportunities to be bold with our faith or to share our faith or to point others to Jesus, God, that we would not hesitate but say, God, we trust that you're good and that you've equipped us for this very moment. God, prepare our hearts for, for communion. Um, pre- prepare our hearts to continue to worship you in this way. And it's in son, son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check out fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.